Well, good morning again, and we are in the book of Philippians this morning. Book of Philippians, if you would turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 6 and 7 together. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'd like to begin reading our text in verse 4, so let's just look there. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A pretty incredible text, isn't it? I told the elders this morning, I said I basically could just get up there and read it, and that be that. I'm not going to do that, though. What have we just come off the heels of here? Well, of course, we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord, letting your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. And so... Let us also not be anxious about anything. Let's not be anxious about anything. I wonder, when you came in the door this morning, if we had just a little survey you could take and were you just supposed to rate your anxiety level as you walked in the door. How much anxiety do you have this morning? Um, I, I can imagine that no one said zero. Isn't that right? No one said, you know what? I have no anxiety in my life whatsoever. Everything is great. Couldn't be any better. But no, we all have a type of anxiety, don't we? Maybe a type of anxiety that we need to keep in check. But when Paul says anxiety here, when he talks about being anxious, what is it that he is speaking of? What are we to not have? A quick poll that I found, it, it said that in the United States, Generally, 19.1% of the population in the United States has some kind of anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety disorder, or OCD, panic disorder, PTSD, social anxiety, add the new COVID anxiety to the list, which is being talked about a lot. Christmas anxiety, holiday anxiety, Nevertheless, they're real, aren't they? Where does this word anxious come from? Words are funny things, aren't they? Every word has some kind of origin to it. The word anxious doesn't sound too English, does it? It, it, it comes from a, a Latin word, and the Latin word originally comes from a Greek word, anko, and it's not in our New Testament at all. This word that we have for anxious is derived from a Greek word that's not even in our text. It's not, it's not that it's not in our text this morning, it's just not in the text of the New Testament. It is found one time in our Greek Old Testament, though, and it actually helps to give us an understanding of what this word originally meant. Listen to it. Psalm 31.9. Do not become as the horse and the mule, for which there is no understanding, 
With bridle and muzzle, one compresses their jaws, which do not come near to you. It was in there. Did you hear it? The word anxious? Huh? It means to compress or to choke out. I think you know that feeling, don't you? When life and life circumstances seems to choke in on you and compress you. I think we're acquainted with that feeling. Now, even though there's a different word here, um, doesn't mean the, the idea is not there. For example, Philippians 2.28, Paul's talked about anxiety already. Chapter 2, verse 28. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. Do you remember reading that? So Paul is talking about sending Epaphroditus back to them so that he might have less anxiety. Now, it's, a, a, again, a third word. It's, this is not the word used here, but it's the idea of anxiety. The reason I'm bringing this up is because we have a particular connotation attached to the word anxiety, and for us, it's always negative. When we think anxiety, you want to get rid of it. I don't want any anxiety in my life. It's always negative. There is always a negative connotation with anxiety. However, the word that's being used here in our text this morning is not always negative. And so if we look at it, I think it will help us to better understand what Paul is telling us to not have. Don't have this... I think we need to understand what the this is. Because if we're being told not to have it, then we probably need to understand what the it is. You see, what we do is we take our English word anxiety and we attach meaning to it. So when we read it in our English Bible, we think it's meaning what we've associated with that word. But what did it mean for Paul? What did this word mean to its original audience? What did Paul intend to communicate? That's what we're concerned to know, right? So what did Paul mean when he said, do not be anxious about anything? What kind of anxiousness is he talking about? What are we to not have? So when we look at the first part of this verse together, do not be anxious about anything. That's the first part of verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. We're talking about, generally, anxiety. But we're going to look at the two different ways in which our New Testament talks about this particular word, anxiety. There's a positive sense to this word. Does our text say, never be concerned about anything ever in your life? Is that what it says? But we've translated it, do not be anxious. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, they all suffer. If one member is honored, they all rejoice together. Did you hear the word anxiety in there? Did you hear the word anxious? That the members may have the same care for one another. That the members may be anxious for one another. That's what it says. It's our exact same word that the members of the body may be anxious for one another. And it's used in a positive sense. You should be anxious in a sense of wanting to care for the people around you. You should have concern for that. You should have a sense of anxiety about that positively. Because if you don't care to care for the person next to you, you're not going to. And so there's a type of anxiety that makes you act. And it makes you act properly. If I don't have anxiety about something, it's going to cause me to act a particular way. If I don't have a type of anxiety about falling off this stage, then I'm going to move ever closer to it, not caring if I might fall. 
but you get the idea, is that what I'm concerned with causes particular behavior and thoughts. So it's used positively. Again, Psalm 37, 19. In the Greek Old Testament, our, our word is used here, for I will confess my lawlessness and I will be anxious on behalf of my sin. I will be. I will have a type of anxiety about my sin. And if I don't, something is actually wrong. If you don't have anxiety for the people around you, something is off there because that's not the way God designed his church. If you don't have anxiety about your sin, something is off for you because this is what's intended for you. Saying the word anxiety a lot, is it making you anxious? Me saying the word anxiety so much? Psalm, uh, Philippians 2.20 For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Did you hear the word anxious in there? I, I have no one who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. Speaking of Timothy for the church in Philippi, it's used in a positive sense. It's good to have that kind of anxiety. It's good. And so we could say this. Believers are to have a healthy level of concern in their lives that produces obedience. If you don't have a healthy level of anxiety in your life, you're, you're not going to act on particular things because you don't care. You're not concerned with it. You don't have an anxiety about it, so it's going to cause me to not act. Does this make sense? If I don't have anxiety about being sinful, I'm going to do it and not care. If I don't have anxiety about your welfare as a church, then I'm not going to do anything for your welfare because I don't care. Do you see how there's a type of healthy concern that actually produces in us an obedience? An obedience that we might be less sinful and that the people around us might learn to be less sinful as well. That's the whole idea. You need to be anxious about your sin. You need to have concern about your sin. In other words, you need to actually be, in a sense, a little fearful that you might sin so that you might stay away from it. If you don't have that kind of anxiety about your sin, you're not going to care. You're going to walk to the edge and you're going to fall off because you weren't concerned about the lip there, right? I, I don't have any concern for it. There, I can go and I can touch it. I can get near to it. But if I'm concerned with falling, you better believe I'm going to stay away. This type of attitude of anxiety about our sin is something that we should have in our life. And it's good. This is a good anxiety. Okay? Not all anxiety is bad. Have you ever thought that thought? Not all anxiety is bad in this sense. So, Paul is not saying never be concerned about anything. Do you see that pretty plainly? Be very concerned for your sin in your life that you might not do it. Be very concerned for the welfare of the people around you that they might not be caught in sin. Be very concerned for them. You should have a type of anxiety that leads you to obedience. But is that what Paul's talking about? Never, so when he writes this, he's saying, never have concern for your own sin, never have concern for the people around you. Don't have that kind of anxiety. Is that what he's saying? No, so we know that he's using this word in a negative sense, isn't he? Not a positive sense. Okay, so what is the negative sense of this word that we are to not have? That is to be overly concerned. You see, to be concerned is one thing, but to be overly concerned is a 
totally different thing, isn't it? The bulk use of this particular word here is used by Jesus in Matthew and Luke in the same discourse section, just in different gospel accounts, where he talks about not being anxious for your life. Not being anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. You remember this? By being anxious, a person cannot add a single hour to their life. This is what Jesus told us. And so there is a type of negative anxiety that we are to not have. There is a sense here of fear and worry. There is a sense of self-trust. There is a lack of reliance upon God's provision in your life. This leads to the negative aspect here of anxiety that we are to not have. This is what Paul is speaking to. He might have said this. I've I've said it in a way that we can bring the context together. Do not have excessive concern about something to the extent that fear and worry dominate your thoughts and feelings. Thoughts and feelings? Yeah, he's about to talk about thoughts and feelings. We are to not have this type of anxiety in life. Be anxious for nothing is really what it says. Not be anxious at no time, be anxious for no thing. That's a little different, isn't it? They work together, but that's not what he's saying. Don't be anxious about anything. And if I'm not anxious about anything, I will be anxious at no time, right? When you're lacking any kind of life's provisions, you should not allow yourself to sink to such a place that allows fear and worry to dominate your heart and your mind. Have you ever been in a place where you're lacking life's provisions? If you say no to that, I think you need to reevaluate what's happened in your life. There has been a time in your life where you have lacked life's provisions to one degree or another. You know what? Every person is given their own lot in life. Some people lack life's provisions greater than others. And you know what? It may be like a roller coaster. Sometimes you have, sometimes you don't have. But what other types of things lead us into this type of distress? Relational issues cause you anxiety, don't they? Physical issues, sickness, cause you anxiety, don't they? Material things. I don't have money. I don't have whatever it may be. There are things that cause you anxiety. Does it mean that you should never be concerned that you might have food to eat? Because I am to provide for my household in obedience to the Lord right? And if someone doesn't work, then he shouldn't eat. So I should be concerned that I have a job to pay for food for my family. It's a biblical principle. I should be concerned about that, but I should not be concerned to the extent that fear and worry dominate my heart and my mind constantly. And I can't see a way out. I can't find a way out. I'm only ever sinking lower and lower into despair, and there is no way for me to get out of this hole. That is not the way Christians are to think. Why? Why? Why don't think that way? Why are we told not to think that way? What should we do instead? What is the alternative? Well, we continue in our text, and Paul helps us with that. Let's look at the next portion of our text. It says, second half of verse 6, but, here we go, instead, in everything, 
By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you notice that request is in the plural? There's more than one. Let your requests, I know you have them. You've got a bunch. Let your requests be made known to God. It might say, in no things be anxious, in all things be prayerful. When there are concerns that press in on you, that compress you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should not be concerned, right? But it does mean that you should not have excessive concern. So what do we do instead? We pray in everything, in everything, in every circumstance, in everything that we go through, we pray. You notice there's two different words here that basically mean the same thing, prayer and supplication. I don't know that we need to be too concerned about dividing out those words to mean two totally different things, but they're synonyms in a sense. But prayer is speaking to God and supplication is asking requests of him. Talking to God and asking for things. It's okay. It's not only okay, it's what you should do. Do you ever feel like you're a burden to the Lord? You come to me over and over. You always want something, don't you? Always need something, don't you? Here you come again. I knew you'd be coming. Yeah, I can see the future. I know how many times you're going to come to me when your life gets thrown into a big mess. Yeah, there you come again. I knew it. I predicted it. Good. Because where else are you going to go? Run to the Lord every time. You should. You should always run to the Lord in, every, in everything. Oh, that's what it says, isn't it? In everything, in everything, the big, the little, the significant, the insignificant, go to him. But you might think, well, if God's anything like people, I, I get on their nerves in every little thing. I go, I'm talking about every little thing. Every little thing that goes, I'm talking to everybody, everything, and I know that I'm driving you crazy, but every little thing that I'm talking to you about. Seems like always something, there's something going on. And maybe I'm a burden to the Lord in that same way. Wrong. Wrong. You are not a burden to the Lord in coming to him. Because what does this show? What does this show? That our trust and our reliance is upon him and not on ourselves. Our trust and our, our reliance is not, about, is, not about, is not on other people. It's not in the circumstance itself. It's our trust is in the Lord. And so we go to him because I have nothing else to trust in. I have nothing else to hope in. I have nothing else to rely on. And so I go to the Lord. Good, you should. Every time, go to the Lord. How many of you, I, I wonder, this is rhetorical, okay? I, I wonder, how many of you this morning are carrying with you great burdens of anxiety that you have let sit on your heart and your mind, never ever releasing them to the Lord. You carry them with you because you think it's your job to fix them. Because you think it's your job to get these things settled. Because you think it's your responsibility to solve all these issues. Or you're simply waiting on other people to fix their problems so that they'd stop bothering you all the time. But yet, in all these things that actually do cause us negative anxiety, excessive concern that leads to fear and worry, we, we try to solve the problem ourselves. 
can you think of a time in your life where something was giving you anxiety and without praying first, you went and tried to fix that thing yourself? (laughs) Not me, no. I always pray first. And then I calmly go and try to do what I believe is right. Right? Wrong. that's, That's true. That's not true. You do not. You try and you fail and then when you hit the bottom, then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I need to pray about this. And that's most often how it works, isn't it? I forgot to pray. I didn't pray about this. I didn't give this anxiety to the Lord. No, I gave this anxiety to myself and I took it into my own hands to fix the issue. And this is not what God calls you to. God calls you to pray to him in everything, to talk to him, to lay these things on him. I lay it all, I lay it all on Jesus. I think we just sang about that, didn't we? Now, when you were singing about that, did that resonate with you as true? Because that's what you do. It's what you want to do. I want to lay it all on Jesus. I want to trust him with everything in my life with all these circumstances, with all these anxieties, all these concerns in my life, I don't want to fear and I don't want to worry because that's not what I should do. I'm to trust God with all of my circumstances. I want to lay it all on him. I don't want this anxiety in my life anymore. However, we are not just to pray. What does it say? Pray, prayer and supplication. How? In what manner? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we pray, before our prayers are even answered or heard, what should your disposition be in approaching God in prayer about your anxiety? A thankful heart to God. Before before the end of your prayer has even come to your mouth or your mind, I'm already thankful. I haven't even finished what I'm praying for yet and I'm already thankful to God. Is that your disposition? Because ultimately, if we're making an equation here, bring your request to God and be filled with anxiety until the prayer is answered the way you want it to be answered. Then you can let your anxiety go and then you can be grateful. I like that one better than the one you're telling me from scripture because I get to hang on to my anxiety. Yeah, I've prayed about it. I'm still upset about it. I still don't know what to do about it. And I'm hanging on to what I should not. Because if you have prayed and you have asked God for these requests, did you have a thankful heart already? Regardless of how this thing turns out, are you already thankful for who God is and what he's doing? Because you should be. Is it true that you will only find joy and a sense of relief when the situation you're in is gone? Because if that's the case, you've got this all backwards. And that's why you're hanging on to your anxiety because what you're hoping is that the situation will be gone rather than that you would have peace from God. You can't rest until the situation is gone. Wrong. That shouldn't be how we approach these things. And so our thanksgiving comes, how? From a humble heart that trusts in God's purposes. A humble heart 
Do you come to God demanding things from him? You will fix this situation. You will hear me, and you will make this right. I only have that tone in my voice. Whether I should or should not is up for debate, is when I'm talking to my children. Because you will not act that way. You will not speak that way. You will finish the food that's on your plate. We ought to be careful and say, I, this is not how I approach God because this is not a heart of humility before my creator and my master. You think you're in charge and you get to demand things of God that you are entitled to them? Is that a humble heart of thankfulness to God no matter what he does? And so our disposition in prayer matters, doesn't it? We ought to have a humble heart coming to God. Why? Because God knows what's best. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We get that point. God knows what's best. So when we pray for something, what we're praying is, God, deliver me from this circumstance, and here's how I want you to do it. I want you to make this person apologize to me because of what they did to me, and then when they do, I will be free of my anxiety, so God, please do that today in the next hour if possible. And then I will be free, and I will be thankful, by the way, God. If you do that, I will be forever thankful until 10 minutes later when someone else does the same thing and then I'll come to you and I'll ask the same thing. We've got things totally backwards. But we ought to approach God in prayer in such a way that regardless of how my situation turns out, I'm already thankful to God. No matter what he chooses to do in this circumstance, I'm thankful because God knows best. We trust in God's goodness. Do you remember Paul, by the way? Just give you an example here. Remember Paul? He had a thorn in his flesh. And if you're not familiar with, with that part of scripture that you think that's weird, a thorn in the flesh is, is symbolic for something that was plaguing his life and was seen as something hurtful to him. And so he, he asked God more than once that he would remove this thorn in his flesh, whatever it was, something causing him pain in life. But God did not. Paul is the one that just wrote this. Paul is the one that said, in all things, don't be anxious. Paul is the one that just said, rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. That Paul didn't get a change of circumstances. And yet he rejoiced in the Lord. Tell me, are you waiting for a simple change in your circumstances before you can be grateful to God, before you can rejoice in the Lord, before you can be free of anxiety? You're just waiting for things to change because you're wrong if that's what you're waiting for. Your disposition and your mindset about your circumstances is wrong. And aren't we thankful for this text to help us to understand that better? If I were to give a poll when you came in this morning and I said, how many of you want to be free from anxiety? There's not a person in this room that would have said, no, no thanks. What else do you have? We all want an anxiety-free life. And all of us has anxiety. Let your requests be made known to God. Here's, uh, we're going to put a, a few questions on the screen because I think it'll help us understand the text. If God is sovereign over all things, why do we need to pray? And if you're not familiar with that term sovereign, it means that God is in perfect control of all things, whether seen or unseen, 
unseen or unseen, he is in control of all things at all times, past, present, and future. And he does all according to the counsel of his own will. He is working all things together. He is. So if he's already at work in this universe doing what he wants to do, then why do I need to pray? Because whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyway. If you don't have an answer to that, you're not going to pray. I just, whatever. No, I haven't prayed about it because I just, I just trust that God's going to do what he's going to do and that's good enough for me. I've literally heard that. You know what else? I've literally thought that. So how does prayer work with God's sovereignty? Or does it? Or are we wrong about God's sovereignty? Absolutely not. So how does prayer? So God is sovereign and yet we're told to pray. Does praying change the future? God had one plan. You pray about it and God says, well, well, I was going to do this. But let's see what I can do here. See how I can rearrange things. Is that what we're talking about? Does God, do, do, do we offer to God better counsel than he once had? And he says, you know, I've never thought about it that way. Uh, you know what? I am going to, you're right. I am going to do it that way. Let's change things. Is that how we view prayer? Because again, you'd be wrong. Our prayers are not changing God's mind, you understand. We are not trying to reach up to heaven to bend God's ear to us so that we might change his plans for this world and for your life. So then what is prayer? Prayer, God has, if you don't understand, I'm, I'm not, I'm tempted, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'm tempted for a theological discourse here, but I'm not gonna get into it. But we have to understand things we've talked about before about secondary causation, right? Sometimes God acts, some kind, sometimes God uses secondary agency to act, right? In other words, God has sovereignly chose to use our prayers to accomplish his sovereign purposes. That's how prayer works. God says pray because he intends to use our prayers to accomplish his purposes on this earth and in your own life. So he says pray. You want to talk to me more about that? I'd love to, but that's for a different time. But if you have questions about that, I'd love to have that conversation with you. So that's how we answer this first question. So next, if God knows all things, why do we need to inform him about our life circumstances? Let your requests be made known to God. So unless I verbalize or enter into the state of prayer with God, unless I release that, God will never know what my requests are. So I have to let them out of the box in a sense. Otherwise, God can't see them. God doesn't know what I need. God has no idea what my requests are, so I have to let him know them. But I thought God knows all things, even the intentions of our hearts. So then why do we need to inform God? Is prayer informing God? Prayer is not informing God. God knows all things. So there again, we have to adjust why it is we're praying. Why do we pray? God knows all things before you ask him. Matthew 6, 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But yet, what does he say? Pray. For example, give us this day our daily bread. God knows that you need to eat today. He knows that you need to eat tomorrow, but what does he say? Pray. Because who provides that bread? Me. And so, you, do you know this about yourself, that you don't provide your own food to eat? That you don't buy your own food? In the sense that you do not sustain yourself, but it is God who sustains you with all provisions? And that you have food today, but it's only by the graciousness of God? You have clothes on your back, but not, not because you've worked for them, but because God has graciously allowed you to have them and has provided them himself. And in a second, he can take them away. And so when we pray, we have a reliance upon the Lord and his provision for our life, whatever that looks like, whether it be much or whether it be little. Why does God concern himself with my problems? That's my last question for you. Helping us understand our text. Why, why does God concern himself with my problems? Almighty God, who always has been and always will be, who is holy, who is other than us, who is perfect. And yet, he's concerned about me and my problems, my anxieties. What is the answer to that? Yes, he is concerned for you. Do you know that your creator is concerned about the cares and the troubles that weigh on your heart and your mind? Let's look at the last part of our verse. Oh, no, I, I have, yeah, that's good. Go ahead. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. It's just helpful. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Doing what? Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you, that's why. You ever told your problems to someone who didn't care for you? How frustrating that can be. You're in the middle of a heart-wrenching story. And what happens? I'm sorry, what? Because I, I don't care. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no, I have no care what, whatsoever about what you're saying. Is this ever how God treats us when we are talking to him? Absolutely not. God actually cares for you, so therefore cast all your anxieties on him. Is that comforting? So here is the result. Here is what happens. Verse 7. Look at it with me. So when we do this, when we have anxieties and we present our request to God with thankfulness in our hearts, here's what happens. Here's the miraculous result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what happens as a result of your humble prayer in thanksgiving, letting your request be made known to God. The result is miraculous. That the peace of God comes into your life. And what does the peace of God affect? your heart and your mind, your thoughts and your feelings. 
So when we pray, trusting God completely when our with our circumstances, the result is peace. And isn't that what you wanted all along? Isn't that what you wanted? Peace. Anxiety's resolution is peace. I just want peace. So a couple of things about this peace as we wrap up our time together this morning. The peace of God, our text says, transcends our understanding. What does transcend mean? It surpasses what is normal. It surpasses what is ordinary or what is merely human. Our human minds, our intellect, our thoughts, our mindset about our situation, our comprehension, our reason cannot grasp the peace that God has for us. It goes beyond them. The peace that God has for you goes beyond what you can think. It goes beyond what you can reason. It actually means better in value and quality. It's better than anything you could come up with on your own. The kind of peace God offers, you can't create. Only God can give it. Have you ever tried to create your own peace? I try to create my own peace. But this is not the kind of peace that God has in store for you. The kind of peace God has in store is something only he can give. Do you want that peace? You can have it. It's yours. The peace God gives when we lay our concerns on him goes beyond any comprehension we have, beyond our limited understanding. But there's another thing about God's peace the peace of God protects our thoughts and our feelings. Our ESV translation says guards. What guards our hearts and minds? The peace of God guards your heart and mind. The peace of God guards your heart and mind. This word for guard here actually means to be held captive. Your thoughts and feelings, your heart and your mind, are literally imprisoned by a guard he takes them and throws them into a cell and locks the door and stands guard outside of it. Do you know who the guard keeper is? The guard keeper is the peace of God. The peace of God takes your heart and your mind, casts it into a cell and guards the door. No more anxiety, only peace. This is what the peace of God does for your heart and your mind. It protects it. It protects you. You know, constant fear and worry stems from hurt in the past. And you want to protect your own heart and your own thoughts, don't you? I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to be in that circumstance again. I don't want, I'm, so I'm going to put myself in my own little cell and I'm going to protect it by whatever I put around me, whatever thoughts I have. I'm going to try to protect myself. And don't you know that God has promised something greater for you? that he himself is your peace, that he offers a peace that guards your heart and your mind. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. There's no question about it. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. How about Colossians 3.15? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let it. And so the reason we labor this is not only because Paul wrote it to us and so the Holy Spirit wrote it to us and wants us to understand it, but because you need to understand that for the Christian, you can deny these things in your life. Don't you see it? You can be a believer and yet have anxiety about things that God has already protected you from. You don't need to have these anxieties. God has delivered you from them. He has given you peace and you choose to live your life without it. The Christian... The Christian, the believer, is denying the peace that God has for you. That's why it's in the imperative, do this. Do it. Pray with thankfulness in your heart, trusting, relying on God's provision. So here's the last point that we'll make from our text, is that the peace of God is made available, how? Only in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. How? In Christ Jesus. If you do not have union with Christ Jesus by faith, guess what? You do not have access to this peace. It is not yours. It's not for you. You can't have it. Only in Christ Jesus can you have true peace of your soul. It is about to be Christmas, and so let's think about a Christmas text here. Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and what did, what did the heavenly hosts say to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and, yeah, that's not the ESV rendering, but right, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. On earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Not Jesus Christ came born as a baby, therefore there is peace to everyone on the earth. Wrong. Wrong. Peace on the earth to who? To those with whom he is pleased. You are found pleasing in God's sight by means of his son in whom he is well pleased. And so when you have faith in the one that he is pleased with, you have peace with God because you are in Christ Jesus. So the peace that he has is now yours. The peace that God has is now freely given to you. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in the hope of glory. You see, all of what Paul had said to us in Philippians is repeated in in chapter 5 of Romans. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near to you. He is near and he cares for you in all of your circumstances. God is concerned with everything in your life. He is concerned for you when your heart aches. He is concerned for you. And so let your requests be made known to God. 
and be thankful in your heart, trusting him. And the result of that is that the peace of God is going to come into your life and it's not gonna be anything that your mind can even comprehend. And it's going to guard your heart. It's going to guard your mind and your thoughts, but only in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The world is frantically searching for peace. I'm here to tell you that there is no peace to be found outside of faith in Jesus Christ. I'll end with 2 Thessalonians 3.16. It was Paul's prayer for the church in Thessalonica. It's my prayer for you. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. He establishes peace between us and you, where once there was no peace. We did not have peace with you because we had sin and our sin separated us from you. There was no fellowship with you. There was only animosity. There was enmity. There was strife, division. There was wrath for us. But no, in Christ, all that has been erased and we have been brought near to you in Christ Jesus by faith in him and who he is and what he's done. This nearness to you affords us something, the very presence of the spirit of God living in us. And you have promised us peace. You are the Lord of peace. You are the God of peace. You have given us peace in our hearts. You have promised to protect our hearts. You have promised to protect our minds. But God, you have told us to do something. You have told us to come to you in prayer with these anxieties of our hearts that we're not to have them, but we're to trust in you. We're to trust in your provision. We're to trust in your promises that what you said is true. And so, God, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for myself, Lord, that you would help us to understand this better, that, God, you care for us far more than we can comprehend. You love us far more than we can comprehend. Your love, care, and concern for us goes far deeper than anything we've ever experienced, anything we can ever give. And so it's hard for us to comprehend it. We can't because we don't know such love. It is greater than we think. And the peace that you give is even greater than we can think. We can't understand it. It surpasses anything that we know and can reason about. We don't get it. But God, we feel it. Because you have guarded our hearts and our minds in Christ. So help us to pray. Help us to humbly come before you with thanksgiving, trusting you in all things and at all times. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen.